Welcome to Entrepreneurial Reality with Bash. Every week we'll be speaking to startup and scale-up founders to learn about them, their ambitions for the business, goals and objectives. Every conversation is a moment in time, documenting entrepreneurs' current situation with a view to coming back next year to see how they are getting on. Each journey will be different. Each innovation could be game-changing. I hope you enjoy. Entrepreneurial Reality with Bash, Series 1, Episode 20. And I have with me the co-founder and CEO of WishWallet, Mark Labette. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me, Ben. Much appreciated. You're welcome. You're welcome. So for the benefit of the listeners, could you bring us up to speed as to your journey to date? A little over two years ago, I was living in Florida. Um, I moved out there with my family where I was offered a partnership um, opportunity in a management consultancy firm. It was a great opportunity to get involved in something different after 10 years in um, container shipping. So I moved into a new firm with an old college roommate of mine. We went into management consultancy for a variety of clients um, in Florida, ranging from uh, medical labs to um, engineering tool startups uh, to medical conferences. And while we were over there in a sort of spontaneous moment, um, the Wish Wallet concept came about. There were three of us over there, uh, my wife, Abby, and uh, my friend and business partner, Drew Wilson. And just a moment where we realized that there was a, there was a bit of a gap in the market with the way people uh, manage their spare change and, and what it is that they do with it. For the past, I've had a, a money jar sitting in my, in my room or in my kitchen, and it was always a habit to um, get home at the end of the day or end of the week and, and just empty that uh, pocket of change into the coin jar. And then just somebody piped up, oh, there's an app for that. And then that just kind of got us to thinking, well, you know, an app for what? For, for capturing change? For, for what? So, you know, with, within a couple of hours of digging around, we came up across like concepts such as uh, Moneybox and Acorns. Um, Acorns is essentially the American version of, uh, of Moneybox. Uh, so rounding, automatically rounding up your spare change or your spend um, and then putting that towards uh, something, uh, whether it's a, an investment into stocks and shares or diverting money uh, directly into your savings account. We always thought that uh, it would be handy to have a mechanism that would help people buy the things that they really value, that they believe really brings a sense of life enrichment. There's a huge amount of pressure um, I think from the market to buy things and whether it's uh, unnecessary or unneeded, you know, that that's one thing, but it's also on the other end of the spectrum, you've got people who would really like to have um, say those designer pair of trainers, but with a modicum of uh, a financial sense, they decide, right, I'm not going to um, max out another credit card or I'm not going to overspend uh, this month and get myself into uh, into further financial uh, trouble. So I'm not going to go and buy it. With Wish Wallet, we want that to change. We want to offer people a way that they can afford the things that they really want. They believe brings value to their lives, whether it's a pair of trainers or a meal for two at a Michelin restaurant, next year's travel package holiday, or even a contribution to a charity or your, uh, or your child's uh, school PTA. Um, you know, why not have a, have a mechanism in place that automates both the, the rounding up of your everyday spending and then, secondly, automates that transactional process 
where you don't have to get involved in any way. All you do is go into the app, pick what it is that you want to buy down the road, and then go about your daily life. So we're essentially automating the roundup and the purchase, which is um, a totally unique um, and innovative perspective on e-commerce, which if you put, if you put it as, uh, as simply as an e-commerce platform that is supported and, and enabled by fintech, uh, the technology behind it would, would essentially be completely frictionless and enable users to you know, essentially gain a greater sense of spending power. But more importantly, there's also the belief that it can help people reduce their risk of further debt. I saw an article that came out today uh, that the average household debt is a little over £15,000, excluding mortgages. And bearing in mind that it was about £8,000 last year, there's clearly a, clearly a negative trend that you know, a lot of people need to, need to be very aware of. And you know, WishWallet is there to essentially help people realize their purchasing goals and dreams without you know, overexposing them to overspending, getting into further debt, and just exacerbating a, a situation you know, the government faces with helping these people who are just putting the country into, into further trouble by very simple methodology of rounding up your everyday spends and getting the things that you that you want, and like I said, it doesn't have to be a materialistic purchase. It could be, you know, a contribution to your kid's school, you know, to better their education, a contribution to charity. So whatever it is, um, we believe that uh, the Wish Wallet can can really um, help make a difference to uh, to the way people uh, shop and uh, and save online. Um, it certainly sounds interesting. And could you tell us a bit more about? where that money is then held and do, do the users have the ability to allocate that money over time or is it held in sort of escrow for a period of time before you release it? You know the concept behind Wishwallet that one of the main USBs is that users pre-select their purchases uh, so whether it's pair trainers or um, a restaurant or a hotel through different um, setting options the users will have the option to choose how their funds are allocated. So for example, if they've got three purchases on their dashboard, they can tell WishWallet to say, right, I just want to pay off the first one until I've bought it and then move on to the second, or it can be sequential one, two, three, or it can be completely random. We're working with third party providers in the background, all those roundups that, um, that are captured over a, over a single week. An additional direct debit mandate is sent out to the user. One extra uh, withdrawal from the account is then transferred into a virtual account um, and those funds just passively accrue um, in the background as people people go about their lives. We're also going to be integrating safety features to make sure that uh, people don't get into trouble. So for example, users will be able to select say their bank balance and if at the time of the direct debit mandate their bank balance is below that pre-select number, the direct debit will pause because if they need their balance to be at a certain amount to cover rent and bills and things like that, you know, the last thing that we want to do is to go and get people into, into trouble because of, uh, of, a, of an additional direct debit that they can't necessarily afford. Um, and then similarly, if people have, say, £350 sitting in their wish wallet and something happens at the house and the, the boiler explodes um, and they need that money, they are more than... Uh, able to withdraw that uh, that full amount free of charge
we're looking to to partner up with some machine learning experts so that uh, you know we can offer users um, an insight into their spending habits, their saving habits, um, and really give them a a clearer picture of what it is that they can afford, and and similarly help them with you know just managing their uh, their day to day finances. It is in no way designed to reap benefit by just positioning people into spending more than they can afford. Um, you know, we want this to be a um, the, the third hand in in people's you know financial lives when they come to making spending decisions, whether it's you know small ones or large ones. With that machine learning and that data and that insight, you know, we want to uh, to work with a variety of of partners so that uh, you know a huge amount of you know information can be gathered and analyzed and then and then presented in a way that that helps the user um, gain a greater sense of, uh, of, w- of where they stand in the in you know in in space um, mm. you know there's, there's so many transactions flying around i know that there are numerous um, you know different uh, different service providers that uh, do things similarly but that will be that will be part of our uh, of our service offering how well progressed are you in terms of the the technology development so uh, I partnered up with a app development firm up in uh, up in Bedford called Tappable. Um, we got together uh, sort of around the middle of last year. We just clicked instantly. They recognised uh, the potential for this. About three months to our agreement, they they agreed to to make an investment into Wish Wallet pr- uh, prior to my crowdfunding campaign, which would enable uh, sort of three months worth of um, design and wireframing. Um, and also the first round of the actual app itself. The idea behind that being that we knew that the crowdfunding campaign was going to be one, possibly two months. Um, and then once uh, Crowdcube do their due diligence, um, you're looking at another month. By the time the fund's clear, we'll already be three months ahead of uh, design uh, with the goal of launching in, um, in April, May of, uh, of this year. You mentioned the crowdfunding campaign. Is that currently going on? Yeah, so uh, we're currently live on Crowdcube at the moment. At this point, we've got 14 days remaining. We've got a target of £215,000. We are offering 20% equity in return. Um, and so far, we've raised a little over £114,000 with 116 investors. So, you know, there's still work to be done. Uh, we're still looking to obviously reach that target uh, with an overfunding target of 300, um, and with that, you know, we're looking to uh, to move into the uh, the final development stage of the live app, um, and then that will also have funds allocated for uh, six months of app support ongoing, um, a marketing and PR campaign, and uh, key hires. And for for the listeners, uh, please, this is not a recommendation. Please make your own. Uh, research and take advice on investing uh, but take a look at crowdcube take a look at the disclaimers associated with that but uh, if you're interested that's where you can find mark or go direct to mark to answer any questions that you may have you've got the application that is in development you have uh, funding round going on at the moment you mentioned that you were in management consulting and moved into building an application you had that aha moment what gave you the courage then to take that step that leap of faith in the first place it's, it's just a value 
um, a value to so many principles of life that, um, that, that, that just can't be ignored. At the beginning, you know, we really have something, really have something interesting. And over time, the more we spoke to potential users and retailers and collaborators and partners, so far to date, we have yet to actually get any negative feedback. Everybody has been able to say, I understand it. I, I can see how that is really going to um, you know, make a difference and have an impact, benefit people. You know, and to that end, it was, um, it was a case of, right, you know, we, need to, we need to really make this work. So I was in a, I was in a position where you know, with three kids at home, I could, uh, I could come back and look after them and, and get this up and running at the same time. Uh, my wife works in the city, so we've got a, we've got a good uh, sort of life-work balance. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was just one of those things that we we just felt if we if we didn't do anything about it, it would it would just be a great shame. So I worked with some crowdfunding consultants for a couple of months to get the whole uh, campaign and strategy uh, in place. Yeah, now we're we're live and and, and crowdfunding. We're at, at that point where you know we're on the verge of making this uh, making this a reality. Um, you know, with the plan of of launching into the UK and then, and then expanding into Europe and beyond. And yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was a risk and it's, um, it's cost some money. I'm not going to lie, but you know, the, the belief um, and the passion in, in what this can really do to people's lives in the most positive way uh, is something that uh, we, we, we couldn't ignore and just and let it go. So yeah, here we are. No, I appreciate it. And it's certainly exciting to see somebody so passionate about delivering value to people and enabling them to make adjustments to their financial outcomes uh, as a result of spending, which is interesting. That's the key point. You know, it, it's that, um, that adjustment, you know, that, that mindset of, of realizing what it is that um, you can actually um, afford with, with a little bit of patience and, a, and you know, an, an adjusted sense of responsibility, you know, rather than going out and, and overusing credit cards and overextending, um, you know, it, it's far too easy to, to fall into a, into a life of, of overspending and um, maybe trying to live up to the expectations. But, you know, we believe that there's also, um, you know, surprisingly, you know, within the millennials of this, um, of this age, um, there is a huge amount of financial restraint, you know, especially with that, that age group who have grown up maybe with their parents or, or relatives who you know really struggled over the past ten years. So, whilst a lot of broad strokes seem to get put out there with the millennials being the the want it now generation, we believe that that there are also those who are the complete opposite, um, and they they recognise the the risks that are out there. They don't go and overspend. They don't go and buy it now just because people think it's you know it's the cool thing to have the the best pair of trainers or or to eat at the this restaurant or to travel to this particular place. Um, you know, people are, are a lot more cautious. They have the benefit of hindsight um, and they're really able to, uh, to capitalize on that um, and make smart, sensible, informed decisions um, and wish while it will, will help them do that. Um, and also for those who are, you know, still in that uh, want it now mindset, that adjustment with wish wallet can be, uh, can be brought about. Mm, very interesting indeed. So is there any particular learning that you could share with the listeners? I think, um, you know, for me, what's, uh, what, what's proved most uh, successful so far is just 
recognizing uh, the weak spots. I don't know everything. I never will. But being able to to look at myself and my team and recognize, you know, over the last uh, 15 years, you know, the skills and the contacts and the relationships that we have in place and to then look forward and say, right, what do we need? Who do we need um, to get to the next three months, six months, 12 months? And then go about whether it's, you know, nurturing friendships or old relationships or even establishing new ones. Um, that, that has really kind of become a, a, a cornerstone of our, um, of our remit in terms of establishing something that's, uh, that really has a solid infrastructure is, um, is the, the people that we work with. Um, you know, we wanted to, to work with an app developer who had the experience and we also get together quite regularly and we all get on really, really well. So, um, you know, that type of relationship, given that we could be working together for the next uh, 10 years, um, was, a, was a critical component. Similarly, with our, with our marketing team, we did some work on some different projects um, last year. And, you know, that, that was just a no-brainer. They had the, an incredible team um, at Kemp Marketing, um, and they were really able to, to support the, the vision um, of Wishwallet. And then similarly, we took on um, some advisors who had the expertise in the necessary uh, sectors of industry that we wanted to, uh, to tap into. So I think, you know, that's been, that's been the main thing is just, is just recognizing where we, where we were a little bit short and then, you know, reaching out to the people who were the best at what it is that they do, bringing them on board and strengthening it from the ground up, you know, and making it um, as, as solid and as stable as possible so that as we, as we extend and we, and we grow, uh, we have that that framework, that infrastructure that is um, that is really going to uh, hopefully take us uh, take us as far as this can go. Having the right people is one thing, but being able to accept some of the ideas that come across from these people as well is another. And some founders are very protective of their ideas, and this is the way they're going to go. This is the vision, the people around to, to facilitate that realization of vision. But sometimes there are ideas put on the table that may complement what you're looking to achieve and, and add further depth. How do you address these ideas? How do you manage that collaboration when you have a very clear focus as a founder? With difficulty, you know, to be honest, there are, there are definitely um, some conflicting ideas. Like you said, um, you know, I have, a, I have a vision of how I see this panning out. And when one of the team members has something that is not kind of in line or, or whether it's uh, in complete contradiction, you know, it's a challenge because it's not how I want it to go or how I see it going. That typically becomes a, uh, becomes a, a good discussion. I have to step back and remember these people are the experts in their field, whether it's a short-term play or, or a long-term strategy. These are the people that um, you know, we have chosen to bring on board for their expertise you know, with their, their 15, 20, 25 years in their relevant sectors. It's never easy. We'll compromise and we might disagree. But at the end of the day, we all have the same interests um, at heart, you know, we want this to get developed and launch and move out into the market and succeed for our users and partners and things like that. So it's a challenge and, you know, one that I kind of enjoy, you know, in a, in a weird way. But, um, you know, I think it, it, it brings out the best in, in our negotiational skills. Challenge of character is, is always a good thing. 
and I think it just it, as a as a team, you know, and and as people individually, it just makes us uh, stronger. And so you covered off a number of activities across the next twelve months, uh, such as finishing the round of funding, sort of mid to late January. You've got then the launch of the developed product, the first version mid-year, and then what else do you plan to achieve across these next 12 months? After launch, we'd be looking to really um, focus on the UK market, um, starting in the southeast and London region, and really consolidate that, uh, that feedback, especially from the users, uh, about how, how the app works, what they like, what they don't like. Um, I think that's going to be a, uh, a really large portion of the next... Um, six months following launch and then it will be a case of implementing various uh, upgrade programs increasing functionality and you know we want to diversify our, our product offering um, for things that uh, people are able to pre-select as purchases you know at the beginning we would we'd love to have as diverse a range as possible it's not realistic to uh, to say that we're going to be able to offer everything that you can buy online through Wishwallet, that's not going to happen. But in time, there's no reason to think that with the support of our key hires and, um, and partnerships, we can, uh, we can push this out through, through the rest of the UK and then Europe. Um, so within, within a year of, of launch, we'd like to see this really established uh, in, uh, in the UK on the verge of an expansion into Europe and Scandinavia and then North America after that and uh, and beyond so the current political climate is not a concern for you it's still part of your strategy to grow and scale internationally irrespective of what happens it is presenting a a challenge um, not so much for me uh, but for other people who are considering getting involved at the end of the day people are always going to be looking for ways to realize purchasing goals People are always going to be spending money and investing and things like that. But I mean, as far as, as, far as Wishwallet itself is concerned, the core functionality will remain consistent irrespective of what happens in, uh, in a couple of months. With the focus of continual learning and sharing, is there any particular recommended reading uh, that's helped your education, your understanding that, that you could share? So I recently uh, was reading The Tipping Point, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, he shed some, some really interesting perspective about uh, context and content, uh, word of mouth, I think, being uh, one of the main ones. And it, it, was, it was something that was kind of reiterated when I was at uh, the FinTech Connect uh, exhibition uh, a couple of weeks back. Um, and, you know, it was just a case of having those connections and those collaborations who recognize the, the value and the potential of something and are more than willing to recommend it to their colleagues and partners and, and peers and things like that. So it's definitely become a, a huge part of the, um, the sort of the brand awareness strategy. If I'm able to, to establish 100 brand ambassadors who are able to scream from the, from the, the roof of their buildings about, uh, you know, Wishwallet currently, you know, and what it is that we're, that we're trying to achieve right now in terms of um, not just raising the the initial seed capital to to build it but you know also how it how it can really benefit uh retailers as a as an additional revenue stream um as a source of uh customers brand exposure and and similarly for 
or charities and schools. You know, I'm really looking to work with starting off with my my girls' school on a local level, but then you know they fall out under the umbrella of the of the GLF, which is a community of uh, primary schools and and colleges. You know, with that sort of mindset, you know, we're really looking to roll this out locally with not just word of mouth um, but in in the right context and with the right value you know we believe it has the has the real potential to reach reach people on a huge variety of different levels way way in advance of actually us you know connecting with them personally purely based on the way that it can benefit such a broad variety of people having that context in place um, and that content of course yeah, has really has really proved uh, really proved itself already. Excellent. And the intention, from a technical perspective, it's going to be available on every device. Uh, could you just give us a steer on that. Yeah. So we didn't want to to limit it to Apple or Android or anything like that. So um, the app developers uh, and they also supported that that approach, um, making it available on uh, on all devices. Uh, we'll also have a a website that will be dedicated to each individual user so that they can manage their own um, dashboards on a, on a website if they want to. Um, you know, we recognize that a huge amount of, uh, of time is spent on, on the mobile phone. You know, sometimes it's, uh, it's nice just to, to be on the laptop or to be on the, on the desktop and, you know, have, the, uh, have that large screen while you're at home. And the same, the same thing will apply to, to our retail partners and, and service providers, they will have a, a web-based dashboard that will be offering them the, uh, the insight into their users, um, their customers, um, and offer them a, uh, a platform, essentially, um, and a tool for them to increase their exposure, gain additional sales, and be able to really focus in on the people who they know um, are in the, in the mindset of, uh, of buying whatever it is um, they're offering. That's great. And in terms of volume of transactions, just rough estimation, how many do you need to achieve net profitability? Uh, so based on our current financial projections um, and the business model that we've implemented, uh, we're looking at approximately 250,000 transactions by the end of the first year, uh, which will take us into uh, profitability by around month 16 or 17. And then transaction counts by the end of year two, uh, we're anticipating about 1.1 to 1.2 million, and then uh, three to three and a half million uh, transactions by the end of year three. Let's learn a bit more about you as an individual. There are people in this world that I look up to personally, uh, influencers, business owners, philanthropists that I, I believe are doing great work are there any particular individuals that you look up to or you aspire to be? Richard Branson has always approached work and life in a way that, um, that has always inspired me to, you know, to find that balance with his, uh, you know, with his dedication to, uh, to kite surfing, you know, which is something that uh, I dabbled in um, a little bit with uh, while we were living in Florida. He just has a, he has a, a balance um, I think that a lot of people um, should really strive towards um, in terms of not getting too consumed by by one or the other, being able to to really recognize the value in in people and i 'll never forget one of his his quotes being 
something something to the effect of you know always always hire people smarter than you bringing the best out of out of everybody that you're that you're working with that you're surrounded by not trying to lead with you know with a, with an iron fist or or anything like that but be but be flexible to the other experts in the room who who complement um you know rather than contradict or or might be too impractical so um you know for me he has a just a business style that's um i mean as far as i'm aware is is not really mirrored uh, by by anybody else and whether whether they're in uh in a small startup phase um like myself or a or or a multinational you know i don't see that uh mindset anywhere else and and just the way that he's he's managed to recognize some patterns and some trends and obviously also um create some new ones for himself i'm not anticipating uh becoming a multi-billionaire and, and own my own island um but, you know i would i would definitely take from from what he does you know the the passion um that he has you know in what in in everything that he does uh both at both you know in life and at home and i've i've read most of his books and you know seen various uh various interviews and you know and all all that kind of stuff whenever when I, and he's all all over social media so it's um it, it's quite it's quite intriguing to see how he's he's willing to keep himself uh you know feet firm firmly planted on the ground whilst flying in space at the same time i take a huge amount of um of value from that very inspirational person yes And you, you mentioned that you dabbled a little bit of kite surfing. Are there any other sort of sporting activities or anything else that helps you get away from the busyness of being an entrepreneur? Yeah, so I, I cycle a lot. Um, I joined a, a mountain biking club here in, um, in Rygate in Surrey. Um, so there's about 15 of us. Twice a week, we usually go out Wednesday nights, um, Sunday mornings. You know, that, that's my opportunity to uh, get away from it all get my adrenaline rush and uh, yeah, just clear my, clear my head of, of whatever, whatever kind of week I've had, whether it's been a, a good week or, or a setback week or, or even a non week sometimes, um, you know, and then when the, when the weather's rubbish, I've got a, um, I've got an indoor uh, sort of turbo trainer set up uh, so that I can still, still get the heart racing um, a little bit, keep that. Um, yeah. It just, and it just, it just helps me uh, sort of, stay focused um and then with the three i've got three uh very young uh girls um all, who are all at school so you know that's also another juggling act uh with the kids as well so yeah for me that uh that that cycling component i mean if if i if i wasn't able to do that yeah that would that would be a real struggle just to spin the legs and uh, and clear the mind and in terms of working with your wife how do you balance that with the children as well over the dinner table? Do you find yourself falling into having conversations about business and ideas and what's next? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Abby will come home from work and she's, you know, had a conversation with a, with a friend and, or a client or, or something's come up somewhere and, uh, you know, she'll bring that back uh, to the house and, and we'll, we'll talk about how it can be implemented into, into the wish wallet strategy. Um, and then, you know, similarly, if I've been on the phone all day and had various conversations with um, investors or, or retailers or collaborators or, 
my marketing firm, you know, whatever it might be, you know, of course it's, uh, you know, it, it comes up over, over the dinner table or, or on the weekends, you know, it's just, uh, it's part of, um, it's part of the, the everyday. So obviously timing with, with the kids is, is difficult, you know, but we just, we just have to always remember that, uh, you know, there is a, there is a time and a place, you know, and, and the time for the kids is, is their time. And, you know, we, we spend as much time as, uh, as we can with them. And then, you know, when we're, when it's either just, uh, just the two of us or if, if it, everyone's at work, you know, it's a case of finding that, um, that time. But, you know, at the end of the day, having, having left my, uh, my city job over a year ago um, and me focusing on Wishwallet, if I, you know, if I wasn't talking about it uh, with my wife every, every hour of every day, who knows where it would be? <laughs> Good point. Good point. Time has flown. Thank you. It'd be great for you to come back and share with us uh, in 12 months time uh, the, the ups and downs that you've experienced to date and then your view for the next 12 months. I'd really appreciate that. Yeah, I'd love to. Great. Uh, there is a question I do like asking every entrepreneur and hopefully the response is different every year. And that is what would you do differently knowing what you know now? I think I would have spent less time on my business plan. I got quite consumed by having a an all singing, all dancing, fully informed uh, business plan that uh, I felt I needed to have um, sitting on my computer in case um, somebody asked for it. Um, and in the end, I found out that what people actually just wanted was a six-page broad strokes, this is the plan, this is the vision, this is how it's going to work, and this is how it's going to make money, um, and this is, this is what's, going to, what's going to happen. So, I mean, I wouldn't call it a huge waste of time, but it did become quite consuming for, for several months, possibly even longer, uh, you know, to have a document that, that really laid it all out, um, which I've never sent out, you know. So, um, I think... Whilst it is an important thing, um, it's also something that is continually evolving. Um, you know, and I, I go back to my business plan probably once a month, and I, I make some tweaks and I make some adjustments, and and then it and then it sits on my computer for another month. I think for people to get uh, caught up in in having something like that, um, you know, even when it comes to to pitching a VC um, or or a bank or or a potential investor. A, a 35 page business plan is um in my experience not necessary mm, interesting it does ask pertinent questions of you to understand your market uh, the growth plan provides sort of early stage targets to achieve a profitable sustainable business yeah making sure it's a viable idea in the first place but i, I really do hear you doing and learning as you grow and reiterate and make sure you learn from your mistakes. Well, what you said there about, you know, identifying the potential and, you know, recognizing where the target market is, where the value is, how you can recognize the return on investment, if, if that's what you're going for, then of course, but, you know, I should have done that first uh, rather than starting at, you know, at the beginning, you know, with the with an executive summary and then an introduction and then, um, you know, I would I would go to digging into the numbers first, 
um, you know, establishing that uh, that that marketing plan and kind of, in a weird way, working working backwards through it. But you know, about three months ago, I think I I narrowed my business plan from thirty five pages down to six. And then when I did send it out, um, I sent it out to an investor who um, who then became a, an advisor to us, and he, he didn't didn't say anything. Um, you know, he never mentioned the fact that it was uh, it was six pages. At the end of the day, it was just a highly condensed version, which you're probably not going to get if you don't have anything to condense in the first place. That's all they want to know. You know, it's how are they going to make their money back, or or if it's an equity, um, if it's an equity position, then uh, you know how are they, or when are they going to see their uh, their returns, and and what's the plan to get there? You know, if it's a three to five year strategy, so. It's always a difficult one, and you know I, I wouldn't recommend that to um, just you know to say that that's the best approach for for everybody and anybody who's uh, who's looking to pitch VCs or or potential investors and stuff like that. But um, in my experience, it uh, it has been the case. Well, Mark, we're out of time. Thank you so much for your insights yes. and no, uh, sharing what you're doing with regards to Wish Wallet and the value and, and benefit you could deliver uh, to many people who are in the process of purchasing items and whether they're digital or physical products and services. So I, I wish you every success um, moving Thank forward. Thank you very much. And look forward to coming back next year and learning how the journey's gone to, to date. Yeah, me too. So what do you think? We'll have another interesting story to dive into next week. Looking forward to it already. Some questions to you in the meantime. What is your story? What is your reality right now? And what are you working towards? Let me know. So you can connect with me on Twitter. Just type in Bash in the search and you'll find me. So Bash, B-A-S-H. Easy. On Instagram, it's Bash Reality. So that's Bash underscore reality. And on LinkedIn, Benjamin Ashmore. Make sure you subscribe. And until next week, cheers. Cheers.